Content on this podcast may contain elements that are not suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone and welcome. I'm your host, Michelle Pence. Thank you for joining me for this inaugural episode of my brand new podcast, The Crime Shack. I've created The Crime Shack as a way to share my love and passion for all things true crime. We'll be diving into old and new crimes that have occurred throughout the world, cover solved and unsolved cases, and discuss some mysterious disappearances. I hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Do you ever come across a case that you just can't get out of your mind? You watch every day of the trial, you read articles about the case, you look up the evidence photos. Something about the case just resonates with you, whether it's the people involved, the strange circumstances of the crime, or the mystery of who done it. In this episode, we will be talking about a case that went to trial in September of 2019, and I cannot stop thinking about this case. The crime occurred in a small rural town in middle America and involves farming, a bloody corn rake, and a little family farm in Delaware County, Iowa. So stick around and let's dive into the lives of Todd and Amy Mullis. Todd Mullis and Amy Fuller met at the Delaware County Fair in Manchester in 2003. 14 months later, they were married and eventually had three beautiful children together, two boys, Tristan and Wyatt, and a girl, Taylor. Todd was a high school graduate who grew up farming with his family. His father and a couple of his siblings owned and maintained their own farms. Todd also eventually owned his own farm in Earlville, Iowa, where he farmed crops such as corn and soybeans, maintained cattle at one time, and also had a hog operation. Earlville is a small town in Delaware County, Iowa, which is sort of northeast Iowa, with a population of uh, about 700 people. Outside of farming, Todd enjoyed hunting, fishing, and doing general outdoor activities. After they were married, Amy moved in with Todd into his farm home in Earlville. According to Todd's testimony, she was ecstatic to move in, could not wait to start her new life together on the farm with Todd. Amy had a background education in nursing and worked as a registered nurse for a time during their marriage, but Amy and Todd came to an agreement that she would quit working as an RN and work from home to remove herself from that work environment due to the sake of their marriage. We'll circle back to this topic later. Aside from helping with the farm, Amy also had her own hobbies or activities that she enjoyed. She liked to shop, have lunch with friends, play golf, go hunting, go fishing, Amy was known as a very social person, having many close girlfriends over the years, some co-workers, and some were met through mutual kids' activities. As is so common with most social media accounts, Amy's social media showed photos of what I like to refer to as virtual happiness. Smiling photos of her and Todd, photos of her with her friends, photos of the kids during hunting or gymnastics and other family activities, To the outside world, it would seem like a normal, happy, well-rounded, middle America family. But life is not always what it appears to be on social media, and certainly life was far from what it appeared in the Mullis household. In 2013, while Amy was working at the hospital, she had an affair. 
Todd ultimately found out about the affair, and Amy and Todd then attended marriage counseling, where she was advised, according to Todd, to let Todd know of her whereabouts during the day. For instance, if she would go to the store, if she would go out to lunch with friends, etc. And also to have open communication within the marriage. They talked about everything, according to Todd. This affair was also allegedly the reason why Amy decided to quit her RN job. Although Todd disputes that and says that Amy quit because she wanted to stay home and spend more time with the kids. Things in the Mullis family seem to progress normally. And in 2016, Todd, Amy, his brother, and his father obtained the ownership of some additional farm real estate. Amy and Todd had planned to build a log cabin on this new property. Todd also obtained ownership in a third farm with his dad and brother. So the property assets seemed to be piling up quite nicely for Todd and Amy. So there's an old and familiar saying, good news travels fast, bad news travels faster. This seems to be the case 10 times over in small towns. Both Todd and Amy had people in their inner circle who they would occasionally share their marriage troubles. As a matter of fact, Amy seemed to share a lot of her marriage troubles with her friends. Some of Amy's friends and family members testified that Amy told them she wasn't happy in her marriage and shared with them the constant marriage issues she was having and her growing fear of her husband. Amy's friends had a nickname for her that referenced the level of control they thought Todd exerted over his wife. They would call her the P.O.T. wife, short for Prisoner of Todd. Nice. Okay, maybe in this small farm town in Iowa, this was normal behavior. Everyone knew everyone's business and everyone shared everything. In fact, at one point, both Todd and Amy were talking with one of Amy's girlfriends about troubles in their marriage. There was obviously a sense of desperation from both Todd and Amy to try to resolve their situation, hoping for someone to offer a good solution that would end in both of them being happy. In the spring of 2018, Todd noticed that Amy was acting different. According to Todd, she would go off into her bedroom a lot with her phone. Based on her recent behavior, Todd decided to search their phone records, and what he discovered was over a hundred text messages between Amy's number and their farm manager, Jerry Frazier's number. Because of the previous affair, this obviously made Todd uncomfortable. Instead of confronting her, he first decided to call Jerry. Then he decided to call Amy's stepmother, Eileen Fuller, who suggested that Todd call Jerry's wife to see what was going on. To me personally, that seems a little odd that Amy's stepmother would even suggest that. But let me give you a little context. At this time in the trial, Jerry had already admitted to having an affair with Amy. Here's his testimony about being confronted by Todd about those text messages. What if anything happened in July 2018? Uh, Todd confronted me about a bunch of text messages. And then uh, I denied it and said it was over some other stuff, dealing with kids and sports and showing livestock. And uh, a couple days later, he called my wife and talked to her about it. And then approximately two days later, he called both of us back and apologized to both of us and said he should have handled it different. Now, let me just stop you. When you say that Todd confronted you, do you know the exact, exact date that he did? No, I don't. Would it be fair to say that it was the end of July 2018? It was sometime in July. And how was it that Todd confronted you? Uh, called me. And what do you remember him saying to you? Just that she had texted me 
a lot of times in a day and wanted to know why or if it was possible. And when you say she, do you mean Amy? Amy, yes. And what was your response to Todd? I just said that she was texting me and it was over kids playing sports, uh, showing livestock, things like that. Now you indicated that around that same time, Todd called your wife. Yeah, a couple days later after he confronted or called me about it, he called my wife. And he called her the first time? Yes. And do you know what that conversation consisted Just of? Just basically told her that we were communicating by text message a lot. And then you indicated that a few days later there was a second yes. call to your wife? Mm -hmm. Is that a yes? Yes. And what was the nature of that conversation? He, uh, he just called to apologize. Did he also apologize to you? Yes. Now, did you and Amy ever have a conversation about the fact that Todd confronted you? Yes, I told her he did. And what, if anything, did Amy tell you? She was upset that he did it. Did she also tell you that he confronted her? I don't remember. Now, after, after you were confronted by Todd, did you and Amy decide that you were going to communicate a different type of way? Yeah, I, I told her that we needed to slow down, and she was, we couldn't text anymore, so it was, she wanted to do an email. Did you then set up a Gmail account? Yes. And is the, after July 2018, would you use that Gmail account to communicate with Amy? Yes. And J Amy also had a Gmail account? Yes. And then you would both use that account, those accounts, I'm sorry, to speak with each other? Yes. Jerry Frazier continued to state that Amy wouldn't often talk about her marriage to him, but he did know that she wasn't happy in her marriage, and she stated to him that she felt like she was a slave or a hostage. During that same summer and fall of 2018, Amy decided to tell her friend Terry Stainer that Todd had called Jerry Frazier to confront him about the text messages. Amy also would go on to tell Terry the real reason for the text messages between her and Jerry Frazier. During that conversation, what did Amy indicate to you? She told me that she had started seeing uh, their field guy that um, had come to their farm quite often. I didn't exactly understand what his job was or what his role was, and that Todd was very suspicious, had called this gentleman's wife, and had confronted him also asking if there was something going on between the two of them due to the volume of text messages. And um, she did tell me that she was having an affair with him at that time. At that time, did Amy indicate to you any um, intentions about whether or not she was going to stay with Todd or leave Todd? No. She um, indicated that she didn't know what was going to happen with this relationship. She said at first it started out as very sexual. Um, he made it very clear that that's all it was about, was just having sex. And then she said, but as they progressed, it, they became close and it became more than just a sexual relationship. After the conversation with Jerry Frazier, Todd was still unsure what was going on, so he tried to confide in Terry Stainer by asking her if she knew whether or not Amy was having an affair. But all Terry said was that he needed to talk to Amy about it. At the end of August 2018, Terry attended a local medical conference where someone came up to her and said that they'd heard that Amy was being naughty again. Terry relayed this information to Amy. Obviously, this made Amy uncomfortable. 
So to preempt Todd's reaction in case he heard the rumors, she decided to tell Todd personally about the rumors. And here's Todd's account of that conversation. She was concerned at how they could get started. So we talked about that, like, well, who could have started that? Kind of went back and forth like that for a little bit. And, and she said, well, I just wanted you to know. So if you hear something, you know, don't, don't believe it, you know. And then I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, you know. And then I just kind of thought about it, I guess, for a day or two and then let it go. Now, look, this is just my opinion. But based on what Todd just said, Amy had to have been a little bit surprised that Todd essentially brushed it off because Amy had told Terry that Todd would be furious if he found out about these rumors. And oh, by the way, she also told Terry that if anything ever happened to her, to look in the timber that was located on their new farm property that they had just purchased. Think about that for a second. If you had a close friend tell you, hey, if I go missing, look under that pile of wood over there because that's probably where my husband will put me. What? If that's not a huge red flag, I don't know what is. Also in August of 2018, Amy had a conversation with her brother and told him that she was planning on leaving her husband. She asked if he could help her find an apartment and to help restore some old furniture that belonged to a family member in storage, which she agreed to do. Amy told him that as soon as all their crops were out of the fields, she was planning on leaving Todd and would file for divorce. Three months after that conversation with her brother, Amy had to go in for uterine ablation surgery on November 6, 2018. This is a fairly common surgery for women, and it's an in-and-out procedure, which did not require Amy to stay overnight in the hospital. You may be wondering why I'm going into detail on the type of surgery, but it does become relevant later on in the story. In a matter of days following the procedure, Amy was able to get out and about and help again with the farm. On the morning of November 10th, 2018, just four days after Amy's surgery, Carrie Callen, a friend of Amy's, sent her a text message around 8.10 a.m. that read, How's it been going? Been thinking of you guys. A minute later, Amy responds with, Thanks, okay. Still very tense around here. Just not sure of anything anymore. According to phone records, that was the last text that Amy would ever send. So what exactly was Amy referring to in that text message? The household being tense? Her marriage being tense? She just got out of surgery a couple days prior. Todd didn't seemingly believe the affair rumors. So why were things tense? That morning was a typical morning. Amy made breakfast and Todd and their son Tristan prepared to start to work on the farm. Even though Amy was still recovering from her surgery, she pushed herself to help out that day. And here's what Todd had to say about that. But keep in mind, she just had surgery four days prior, and there was testimony that she was still having some bleeding due to the surgery. Was there any reaction from Amy when you announced that you were going to go out and start getting the barns ready? Yeah, she basically just, I think she just asked, hey, you want to need some help? Mind if I come out? Now, this was November 10th, and you mentioned that on November 6th, she had had a medical procedure completed. Yes. And you heard uh, Terry describe that medical procedure. It, was that pretty accurate as you understood it? 
Yes, as to my knowledge, I didn't witness the surgery, but I would assume that that was the procedure. And did you take Amy to that surgery that day? Yes, I did. And it was, it was an outpatient surgery, I assume? I think that's what you call it, yeah. We went in, it was in the emergency room, but that was a surgery, or room off to the side. But she didn't stay overnight in a no, hospital? No, she did not stay overnight. Okay. From that day, from a November 6th up to November 10th, was she as physically active as she normally would be? No, she spent almost 24-7 in the house. She was just resting, and that's basically all she was. She was cooped up in the house. So when she said, you know, can, do you need some help or can I help, what was your reaction? I said, if you're okay with it, that's fine. So did you all go together out to the hog barn? No, uh, Tristan and I went out first. We we went out first, and then Amy came out. She wasn't dressed yet for chores. She was in her pajamas or yet, and we were dressed already. So we went out first, and and then she came out a little bit later. Okay. Do you have an estimate as to what time you and Tristan would have went out to the hog barn? I think it was in the. It was after 9, by 9.30, sometime around there. And Tristan described the various things that each of you were doing when he testified by video the other day. Was he accurate? Yes, there was a few things we do in addition to what he was saying, but I was doing those jobs, so it makes sense. He was getting those heaters and bit, getting them to the stall, the pins. Yes. Amy was cleaning light globes. Mm-hmm. Is that a yes? Yes. And you were getting these nipple feeders down. Yeah, I was getting the nipple bars down and zip tying them in place, but I was also hanging the rotor heaters at the same time. Okay. At some point, did you notice anything about Amy that concerned you? Yes. What? She got down a couple times and she would brace herself against the feeder and she'd kind of give, she was kind of just like readjusting herself. And uh, I think Tristan asked at first, she goes, you okay, mom? Because he was closer to her. And she goes, well, I, I just feel dizzy. You know, I'm lightheaded. And uh, then we asked her if she was okay. And she goes, you you mean, don't, should we, you, is there something we should be concerned about, you know? She goes, no, I'll, I'm fine. Okay. So all of you continued with your work? Yes, we just kept doing the same thing. Was there any further concern about how Amy was doing? Yes, it, uh, not, not every pen, but every, every so often she would, she would get down and have to, and it would take her longer to readjust and, she said she was just dizzy. She kept getting dizzy. So we just kept asking her if she was okay. You sure you don't want to go back in the house? And she goes, no, I'll, I'll just keep going. It ain't that bad. And she indicated that she, she wanted to be helpful? Yes, she, she didn't want to go back in. She was, 
She didn't want to feel worthless, I guess. Around 9.30 that morning, Todd and Tristan went to go work in one of their hog barns. These weren't just your traditional small barns. They had two of them, and they were each about the size of a football field. So these things were huge. At some point, Amy joined them, and there were some light fixtures that needed cleaning. In order to do this, Amy had to stand on a five-gallon bucket to reach the lights. At some point, Tristan noticed she was losing her balance, kind of holding or catching herself as she came down from the bucket. And Amy said that she felt dizzy or lightheaded. Both Tristan and Todd told Amy maybe it was better if she didn't do that job anymore. Todd also mentioned that maybe she should go back to the house because he was afraid she might hurt herself. Amy initially agreed, but she didn't want to leave to go to the house right away. She told them she was all right. As Amy was reluctant to head back to the house, Todd mentioned to her that there was in fact something she could help them with. Let's listen to Todd's account of this conversation. How did this thing with the pet carrier come about? The pet carrier was, she didn't want to go at first. She kept saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm all right. And then uh, Tristan actually suggested, he goes, hey, Dad, we need to get that pet carrier out. And I go, yeah, Amy, why don't you go do that? Why don't you go get that pet carrier out of the, out of the shed because we're going to have get the skid loader and water towed out. We don't want to run over them cats. The skid be loader good, good to help us out. The skid loader and water tote was going to be used to water the chickens. The I chickens think. across the road, yes. And these kittens had been orphaned? Yes, they were orphaned for a while. Okay. And what was the pet carrier going to, what was that going to be used to do to help well, with the kittens? Well, we're going to use the pet carrier to put the cats, the kittens in while we back machine ran and out. That way we knew where they were at and we could back them in and out and we wouldn't have to worry about running them over. According to Tristan's testimony, before Amy left, Todd told her one last thing about the pet carrier. If you can get it to the shop, that would help. If you can get it out of the shed, that would also be helpful. But if you can't get it, just leave it. We'll get it. Amy agreed to go and get the pet carrier in the red shed, which was about 30 yards from the hog barn, and put it in front of the shop and then head back to the house. At some point during this time, Tristan lost sight of his father. Keep in mind, as I said earlier, that these barns were huge, and it was probably very easy to lose sight of someone in one of these big barns. However, Tristan doesn't know how long his dad was actually gone. At some point, as Todd and Tristan were changing boots, preparing to work in another area of the farm, Todd said to Tristan that the pet carrier was not over there, meaning by the shop where they had told Amy to place it. And Tristan mentioned that he wondered what had happened. So Todd told Tristan to maybe go check it out, that she may not have been able to get it out of there. Tristan left the hog barn and walked over to the red shed. As he walked in the shed, he immediately saw his mom just inside the door of the shed, laying face down on her hands and knees with a corn rake protruding out of the center of her back. Tristan leans down to his mom and immediately checks for a pulse on her neck and arm and tried to check for breathing, but she wasn't responsive. 
Tristan then yelled for his dad. Let me set this scene for you. At this point, Amy is laying face down on her hands and knees with a corn rake in her back. A corn rake essentially looks like a large pitchfork with four curved tines or prongs. Todd runs to the shed, leans down to checks for a pulse, and he then proceeds to pull the rake out of Amy's back and tells Tristan to go and get the truck. During this time, there are no calls to 911. Tristan then drives the truck over to the shed and sees his father carrying his mother out of the barn, sort of with his hands over her shoulders as he describes as an army carry. When Tristan sees his mom again, it causes him to get lightheaded, which his dad then tells him to snap out of it. Tristan gets into the passenger seat of the truck and Todd places Amy on top of his lap to hold on to her. As Tristan is sitting in the passenger seat, cradling his mother, Todd begins to drive to the hospital and then finally makes a call to 911. Oh, hello, hello. Can you head that way? Can I head a little closer? He's better, Nida. 
Deputies are almost there. Okay. Keep, keep doing the compressions until they can help and take over, okay? Keep going, you're doing fine. Okay. Keep going. Come on, the spot. prosecutor brings something very interesting up to court that she insists was said during that 911 call. Let's listen to the prosecutor ask Todd to clarify what she heard or what she thought Todd said on that 911 call. Now, Todd, here I'm going to um, I'm going to play you the part where you're doing the chest compressions, and I'm just going to ask that you listen in between the chest compressions, okay? <laughs> No, Chad, did you just hear that whisper at the end of that? Yes. And what did you whisper? I couldn't hear it. Okay, I'm going to play it again. Todd, do you whisper cheating whore right there? No. So you don't remember what you whispered? No. Okay, I'm going to play another clip for you. Do, do you know what you whispered there? No. Did you hear that? So I'm going to play that part one more time. The first clip is 6.53 of that second tape. And this second one is right at 7... Um, I'm sorry, 0700. Just try to listen really closely. I just want to know if you remember what you said. Right there, do you say, go to hell, cheating whore? No. So you don't hear that? No. You didn't hear at 653, cheating whore? You didn't hear that? I didn't hear that word. And it's right at that, after you hear a ping, you don't hear go to hell, cheating whore. No. Honestly, I can't hear it. I can't make out what's being said. Maybe you can hear it. But it really doesn't matter if it was actually said or not, does it? The mere fact that the prosecution suggested it planted a huge seed in that jury's mind. So the 911 dispatcher instructs Todd to pull over the truck to begin CPR as they had police and paramedics on the way. 
Todd positions Amy outside of the truck, possibly on the truck bed, and begins to perform CPR. Paramedics arrive and transported Amy to the hospital, where she was then pronounced dead. The police proceed to interview both Todd and Tristan about that morning's events. Both tell similar stories. However, when asked if Todd ever left the barn or was out of Tristan's sight that day, Tristan states originally that he was never out of his sight. In a later deposition, Tristan estimated that his dad was out of his sight for approximately one minute and 40 seconds. However, when Tristan testified in court, he recanted that statement and said that he did not know how long his father was out of his sight. Todd and Tristan both testified that they did not see nor hear anyone else come onto the farm that day. During his first interview, Todd insisted to law enforcement that he never had a reason to suspect his wife of another affair and that they had patched things up and had a strong relationship at the time of her death. But investigators soon found out about Jerry and knew the relationship was not what Todd described. And they also found out that Todd and Amy hadn't shared a bed in over five months. The medical examiner did a full examination on Amy and discovered that her injuries did not correspond with Todd's account. The corn rake had four tines. However, Amy had six holes in her back. The state medical examiner said two of the puncture wounds were at an upward angle and four were at a downward angle. Their conclusion based on the injuries was that this could not have been an accident. She could not have accidentally fallen on the rake two to possibly three different times, but that she was intentionally impaled and they classified it as a homicide. At this point, police began their investigation into suspects and no arrests were made. In addition to finding out Amy was having an affair and receiving the medical examiner's report, officers began doing computer forensics on Todd and Amy's electronic devices, in particular their shared iPad that their family used, and discovered some interesting internet searches that went back to December 2017, such as What Did Ancient Cultures Do to Infidelity? Body Organs, Maps, and Diagrams gaping chest wounds, killing unfaithful women, what happens to cheating spouses in historic Aztec tribes. There were also searches on the iPad that it was possible that Amy herself did. There were searches for wedding dresses, Pinterest, Zales.com, Kay's Jewelry, And there were also a couple searches that Todd stated in testimony he absolutely did not do. There were searches for hotels in the Newton area, DNA testing, discreetly doing DNA tests without consent possible, and how to do a DNA test without the father knowing. Now, it couldn't be proven by the prosecution who exactly looked up those internet searches because Todd, Amy, and Tristan all had the password to the iPad, and technically, any one of them could have looked up those searches. On February 28, 2019, Todd Mullis was arrested and charged with the murder of Amy Mullis. Todd Mullis's trial began on September 16, 2019. The prosecutor argued it would have been impossible for anyone else to murder Amy. Someone would have had to come onto the property without being seen or heard, 
made their way to the red shed without being noticed, just waiting there, hoping Amy would get isolated, and just hoping that there would also be a murder weapon inside the shed. And on September 23, 2019, after seven and a half hours of deliberations, the jury came back with their verdict. Okay, this is the state of Iowa versus Todd Michael Mullis, Delaware County case FECR 012941. We, the jury, find the defendant, Todd Michael Mullis, guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree, signed by the jury four person. Uh, is the defense asking that the jury be polled? Okay. Does the court attendant have the jury list? Go ahead, let's poll the jury at this time. Is this your true and correct verdict? Yes. Is this your true and correct verdict? Yes. Is this your true and correct verdict? Is this your true and correct verdict? Yes. 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 This is a tragic case all the way around. Three children have lost their mother, and they've also lost their father. Todd is due to be sentenced on December 18th, and murder in the first degree carries a sentence of life in prison without parole. A recent court filing indicates that Todd and his new attorneys have requested a new trial. The hearing for that motion is set for the same day as his sentencing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast application so you can be sure to catch the next episode. Be sure to check out our website at www.thecrimeshack.com for the latest episodes and show notes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Crime Shack Podcast. And of course, on Twitter at The Crime Shack. 